You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. We began our series in the book of Colossians last week, and great book that speaks of the preeminence of Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we make our way through this this epistle, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And this morning I want us to, to kind of take note of three things as we look at this text this morning, which will be uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. I want us to notice that Paul prayed that they would become, uh, that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's the first thing that we're going to see, is that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus. Secondly, that Paul reminded them of Jesus' work. And then the third thing we're going to look at is Paul pointed them to Jesus and his person. And so as we make our way through this, we're, we're going to constantly be talking about the preeminence of Christ, that he wants to rule and reign in your life, that he wants to be your king, that he wants to be your Lord, that he desires to have relationship with you, not to to have some kind of a uh, rules and regulations and legalistic kind of a religious experience with you, but that he wants to have a relationship with you. And in order for us to truly have the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, it means that he's preeminent. It's not a, a partnership in a sense. It, it isn't that, you know, we bring Jesus on board to help us make decisions. It isn't that we bring Jesus on board, you know, and, and he brings the money to the table and, and we're kind of the brains behind the operation. That, that isn't the deal at all. We, we bring Jesus into our life so that he can take complete control. We were a sole proprietor and we were running this business of our life into the ground. And now we say, Jesus, here it is. Here's my life. It's yours. I'm going to do what you tell me to. I'm going to be led as you lead me. I want you to be preeminent in my life. And some of you maybe are, are believers, you're, you're saved, but you have never allowed him to be preeminent. You've never allowed him to take complete control. There's still areas of your life that you're holding on to and clinging on to, there, there's still things that, that you think that you can offer to God. There's still part of this that you believe is a partnership, that you, you have gifts and talents and abilities to bring to the table, and you're not recognizing the fact that everything that you have is given to you by Him anyway. And in order for us to truly use it the way that He intended it to be used, is when we relinquish it to Him. And we give it to Him. And that's what Colossians is all about. And so the first thing that we see is found in verses 9 through 12. Paul prays that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus. And because it's a relationship, you guys, it means that it can grow. It's alive. It changes. In a sense, we're, we're on a journey in our relationship with God. It doesn't stay the same. It, it doesn't look the same. Just like your relationship with your kids doesn't stay the same. It, you grow with them as a parent. And they're changing. And, and your relationship with them changes. And, and our relationship with God is, 
is always changing. We're growing. We shouldn't be the same. We shouldn't have the same mindset and the same outlook and the same perspective and even the same view of God in a sense that we did a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. We should be growing and that's the nature of a relationship is that we're growing. Paul says for this reason and what was the reason? The the reason was that he heard of their faith, verse 4. That he heard that they were following Jesus. Remember, Paul had never been here. He'd never been to this city. He'd never met these people. Epaphras planted this church, and Epaphras was a disciple of Paul. And, and so this was, in a sense, the fruit of Paul's ministry, but indirectly. And he says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask... That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And so Paul prays that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that you learn about the Apostle Paul as you read the New Testament is that he was a man of prayer. That he was constantly praying for people. And you'll notice that he doesn't pray for himself solely, but he's constantly praying for others. And even in this case, for people he didn't really know, but he cared about them and he prayed for them. And you know, our prayer life is, is really something that we grow in as well. As we relate to God and as we draw closer to God, do you know that your prayer life is changing? What you pray and how you pray and how often you pray changes and you grow in prayer. And you should be understanding what Paul meant when he said praying without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That should be becoming something that you understand. Initially, it's kind of like, well, I don't understand how that's even possible. And of course, we can't be praying with our head bowed and our eyes closed 24 hours a day. But it's this constant relationship that we have going with the Lord. And that's what we see in, in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I also notice here this word also. He says, for this reason, we also. That tells me that Paul is praying for them and that they were praying for him. We also are going to pray for you just as you are praying for us. And I would encourage you guys to pray for the leadership of this church, to pray for me. As the Christians there in Colossae were praying for Paul and his ministry. Something else you'll notice about Paul's prayers is how he prays and what he prays about. They're, they're so different. They, they stand in such stark contrast to our prayers and the things that we pray about. Paul says that he prayed for them unceasingly, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. First thing he prays for is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. How often do people say, I just want to know God's will? I just want to know what He wants for me. And, and in reality, praying for God's will in our life is, 
is really just praying for understanding into the Word of God. It's just praying that we would understand what God's Word is saying to us and how it would work itself out in our life. And if you're not in the Word and if you're not praying and you're not seeking God, you're not going to know His will. You're going to be off track. And Paul says, man, I want them to be filled, to overflowing with the knowledge of His will. You should be praying that for your children. You should be praying that for your spouse. You should be praying that for your friends and your family and and those here in the church. That we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That, That we would have wisdom, that we would have spiritual understanding, which I believe is found in Jesus. In reality, Paul is praying that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus, that they would draw closer to Him. And when we do that, we automatically know His will. It's it's a part of who we are. We we become wise as we hang out with Jesus. We, We have spiritual understanding. Because you see, Jesus was completely and is completely, fully understanding of the will of God because He is God. He has wisdom because He is wisdom. When you look at the book of Proverbs, you see that wisdom is often personified. Wisdom is often given personal pronouns. And it's because wisdom is personified in Jesus. And man, if you've been making really stupid decisions, if if your life is lacking wisdom, if you're faced with a decision right now and you want wisdom... Where that's found is in Jesus. And if you've been lacking in it, it's because you are not relating to Jesus the way that you need to. You're not close to Him. You're not allowing Him to be preeminent in your life. And see, the, the Gnostics who Paul is writing in response to, this, this group of false teachers who believe that they had deeper knowledge, this, this group of, of men... This group called the Gnostics, they told this church that if they would just adhere to their belief system, that they would have wisdom, that they would have spiritual understanding. If you'll just buy into our beliefs, if you'll do what we tell you to, if you'll read our books and attend our seminars and do these things, then you'll have these things. And yet that isn't at all where those things are found. They're found in Jesus. Not in the latest book. Not in some formula. Not in coming to church. Not in going to a Bible study. Guys, those things help. Those things are important. But it's in Jesus. And if you're not relating to Jesus personally, if you're not seeking Him continually, you won't have wisdom. And you won't have spiritual understanding. And people can promise you the moon. Oh, if you'll just do this. If you'll just read this book, if you'll just go to this church, if you'll just do this thing, then you'll have this. And that is not true. The Gnostics were telling them that was true. To adhere to a set of principles and to a belief system. But it wasn't the case. And Paul is reminding them that it's found in Jesus. And then he says in verse 10, the reason that he prays this way. The reason that he prays that they would be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding is that, verse 10, they would walk worthy of the Lord. See, in order for us to walk worthy of the Lord, we have to be in a constant 
growing relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that at the end of his life said that he had fulfilled God's will for his life. That he had fulfilled everything that the Father wanted him to do. And that he had fully pleased the Father. That his life was pleasing to God. Now, none of us can say that. No matter how long you live, you cannot utter those words. You'll never be able to say, I've completely fulfilled God's will for my life. Nor can you say, I have fully pleased God. We can't say that in and of ourselves. But we can say, I know Jesus. And because of my relationship with Him, I've fulfilled God's will for my life. I've fully pleased Him. See, there again, religion says, you, you've got to do this on your own. You've got to figure this out. How are you going to please God? You better get rid of the TV. You, you better give lots of money. You better dress a certain way. You, you need to talk a certain way. That's what religion says. But Jesus says, no, yoke up with me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. I want to walk with you. I want to lead you. And if he leads you to do some of those things, then that's what you'll do. But it's because he's leading you. He's guiding you. He's allowing you to walk worthy of the Lord. See, apart from him, we're walking in complete opposition to God. Do you guys understand how much we need Jesus? And see, when we get out from under the, the fellowship of God, when we're not relating to him, when we're not in the word, you guys, we forget how much we need Jesus. And that happens to me often. That I just start getting into my routine and I start getting into my daily life and I forget how much I need Jesus. And I think that I can do it on my own and I think that I, I can do this thing and, and I try to walk worthy of the Lord in my own strength and I fail every single time. I can't be fully pleasing to Him. He goes on to say being fruitful in every good work. See, here's the thing, you guys. We want to walk worthy of the Lord. We want to be fully pleasing to Him. And so often we think that it will come by doing good works for the Lord. As he says here, increasing in every good work, being fruitful in every good work. And we get that backwards. Do you notice that Paul says that you might walk worthy and be fully pleasing to Him? then you will abound and you will be fruitful in every good work. See, we think it's, okay, Lord, I'm going to be fruitful and I'm going to abound in good works. Then I'll be fully pleasing to you. Then I'll walk worthy of you. No, we link up with Jesus. We allow Jesus to be preeminent in our life. Then, because of that, we're fully pleasing to Him. We're walking worthy of Him. And then the fruit abounds. But if you get that backwards and you start trying to produce fruit in and of yourself so that you can be fully pleasing to Him, so that you can walk worthy of Him, you'll struggle, you'll strive, and you'll be fruitless and barren. I love this. The fruit comes as a result of our relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul wants for them. That's what Paul prayed for them. And that's what I want for us, you guys, that we would grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we've got nothing. We have absolutely nothing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, found solely in Christ. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, 
for all patience and long-suffering with joy. He prays that they would have power, strength. And I think that resonates with us, right? We want strength. We want power. But look at what he prays and look at the reason for this prayer. He prays that they would be strengthened with his power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. He wants them to be strengthened and filled with power that they might be patient, that they might have long-suffering. That isn't really what we want power for. We want power so that we can rise to the top, so that we can make lots of money, so that we can be known and famous and be intelligent. But he prays that they would have power so that they could have patience and long-suffering to endure whatever would come their way. And difficulty is sure to come. And that's the power that we need. Because one of the greatest temptations that we have as believers is to quit, is to give up, is to cease moving forward. And he wants us to be patient and long-suffering. That's the, the strength and the power that we need. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we relate to Him and draw closer to Him, He gives us that patience. He gives us that long-suffering because that's who He is. That's who Jesus is. When you read about Jesus, you see how patient He was. You see that He didn't get in a hurry, that He was long-suffering, that He put up with people, that He tolerated people, that He loved people despite them. And that takes patience. That takes long-suffering. And you guys, it comes as a result of Jesus being preeminent in our life. Giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified us. I love that word, qualified us. You didn't qualify yourself. He qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance that God the Father has for us. The inheritance that we will receive as we stand before Him. It isn't something that we earned. It's not something that we can make ourselves worthy of. He qualified us. He qualified us and made us worthy through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, we're separated from God. We're completely incapable of relating to God and of being a partaker of the inheritance that He has for us. And so the first thing we see is Paul prayed that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus a second thing is that Paul reminded them of Jesus' work. And see, as we constantly and continually grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we're on this journey with Him, you guys, one of the ways and the most powerful way that that will take place, that growth will take place in our life, is when we are reminded of His work. When we're reminded of what He did for us as we go to the cross. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. You see, each one of us was absolutely enchained and in bondage to sin and to the darkness of this world and to our flesh. We had no way of getting out. It was impossible. The wall between us and God, the wall between us and forgiveness, the wall between us and getting rid of this guilt and this shame that we felt and maybe feel, was impervious. It was impossible for us to get beyond it. You, you could try with all of your might. You, you, could, you could try a million things and, and nothing would get you beyond that. There was nothing that could penetrate that, that wall. And yet He has delivered us. 
He has taken down that wall. He has removed it. Ephesians tells us that he knocked down the dividing wall that divided us from God. He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, which basically means he translated us, he transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. See, it's Him. He did that. He delivered us. He transferred us. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through His blood. And the word redemption, basically, it, it means to be ransomed. He paid the price. There was this huge price hanging over us to, to purchase us out of this darkness that we read about here. In order for us to, to get out of this state we were in, to overcome the guilt and the shame, there was a price that had to be paid. We talk about the fact that salvation is free, right? That Jesus offers us grace and mercy and forgiveness, and it's free. But let's understand something. It came at a very high price. It cost God everything. Jesus tells the parable of the treasure in a field. And that the merchant man went out and he sold everything he had to buy this field so that he could what? Redeem the treasure. And oftentimes, and erroneously, this is taught that you and I are the merchant man. And that we've got to go and sell everything we have. you got to work really hard. you got to get rid of stuff in your life. you got to give away money and you got to do this and talk just right and act just right and and it's about you. And when you do that, and when you make sacrifices, then you will be able to redeem the treasure out of the field, which is God, in a relationship with Him. And you know what? That is legalism. That is not biblical. That is the most ridiculous way to look at that parable. Clearly what Jesus is saying is that He is the merchant man. That He sold everything He has. That He stepped out of heaven so that He could redeem us out of the field. He gave His life as a ransom for many, the Bible tells us. And it was through that that He could redeem us. He gave everything for us. That's redemption. And it's through His blood. The redemption that we have is through His blood. It's not through anything else. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we cannot ever move away from that. That's the gospel. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. That's what we so desperately need, is forgiveness. It's man's greatest need, is to have his sins forgiven, to have his sins, our sins, washed away. Because that's what was separating us from God. That's what was separating us from understanding why we are here. From understanding what our purpose in this life is. It's what was separating us from having hope and peace and joy We need that because without it, there is this wall between us and God and we cannot have access to any of those things. We need his forgiveness. Maybe you're a believer here, but you need to be forgiven this morning as well. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you need his forgiveness this morning. You need to be cleansed and touched and be given a relationship with him. We all need that. If you're a believer here and you're not sensing that God's presence is with you, if you're feeling distant from Him, if you're feeling like, man, I, I just, I pray and it, it doesn't really resonate at all. 
I just feel like I'm talking to myself. We, we say that it, it seems like the prayers are bouncing off of the ceiling. How, however that is for you, if that's the way you feel, it's because the fellowship with God that is available to us has been broken. And that's why Jesus told Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. See, Jesus was giving him a spiritual lesson that we need to have our feet washed. As we walk about this life, our feet get dirty. And we need to restore and renew that relationship. We need forgiveness. And maybe there's some things that you need to deal with with the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to confess your sin to Him. Which basically means that you agree with God. To confess means to agree with God. Not to argue with Him about it. Not to justify it. Not to say, well, you know, it was the woman that you gave me, Lord. It's this world that you've put me in, God. I mean, look, it's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. No, you confess it. You say, Lord, I was wrong. I sinned. I willfully chose to disobey you, and I need you to forgive me. And the last thing I want to look at is that Paul pointed them to Jesus in his person. You guys, I want you to understand the importance of this. The, under, the, the importance of understanding who Jesus is. Because if we're going to have a relationship with Him, if we're going to invite Him to be preeminent in our life, there, there's a reason for that. It's because He's God. He's the Creator of the universe. He created you and He created me. And that's where Paul takes this, is he points them to Jesus and to His person. He says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The first thing he tells us is that Jesus is the image of God. This word image, it means the exact representation. It means that he fully embodied God in human flesh. As he, he tells us in Colossians 2.9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the exact representation of God. And people say, well, I don't really believe in God because I've never seen him. There's no evidence of Him. If I could see God, then I would believe. Even if He just you know, wrote something in the sky to prove His existence to me, then I would believe. The fact is, is that God did more than any of that. God became one of us, and He lived among us so that we can read of His life and speak of His life and, and know who God is. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know how God responds to you? Do you want to know how God relates to you? Do you want to know what the heart of God is and what's important to God? Look at the life of Jesus. He's the exact representation of God. He took on human flesh and he walked out the attributes of God before us. He's not some distant, far off power in the sky. God became a man. He tabernacled John 1.14 tells us, among us. He's the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. The invisible God that was impossible for you and I to relate to, to know, to talk to, to understand, to see. The invisible God became like you and I. He took on human flesh. And now we can touch Him, we can see Him, we can hear from Him. As John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, we can handle Him. We can see who He is. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And 
Some cults will use this to say, see, Jesus, Jesus isn't God. He was born. He's the firstborn. Yes, he's, he's important. He, he's old. He's the firstborn. He was the first of God's creation, but he's not God. He's just the firstborn. Well, that's a complete misrepresentation of what this word means. And even a simple understanding of this Greek word tells you that this has nothing to do with age, and it has everything to do with rank, that he's preeminent, that he's the firstborn in terms of superiority over all creation. He says he's the firstborn over all creation. Not that he's the firstborn of creation. Not that he was the first person born. That's ridiculous. He's the preeminent one. He's the ruler over all creation. It speaks of rank, superiority. For by him all things were created. This is what I don't understand. It's simple English grammar tells us that he's still talking about Jesus here. He says he's the firstborn over all creation. See, he was created. And then he goes on, for by him all things were created. Well, hold on. If, he's, if Paul meant that he's the first person born, then how can he have created everything? You can't create yourself if you're part of creation. He's above creation. All things were created by him that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, rulers and authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. All things. Everything you see was created by Jesus. Everything. Do you ever wonder what that was like for Jesus to, to walk around in the midst of His creation, to be instructed by people about science, about geography, about history, and, and for Him to say, yeah, I kind of know that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I understand science. I kind of put the whole thing into motion, you know. <laughs> For by him all things were created. Everything that we see. That's why he can be preeminent in our life. Because he created you. He's your creator. And he wants to be your ruler. Man, he's given us free will though, hasn't he? Even though he created us. Even though he spoke us into existence. Even though he could take our breath from us right now. He, he allows us to make our own choices. I don't know why he does that. I don't know why God's not more of a micromanager. Because, you know, when I start to see things are, are screwing up, I, it starts to freak me out, you know, and I start to get that obsessive compulsive thing going and where I want to micromanage stuff. And if I was God and I saw just chaos going on down on the earth, I would want to micromanage it. I'd want to start, oh man, I got to... I got to fix this. I got to put this person here and make this thing happen so that this doesn't happen. And, you know, but he doesn't do that. He set the world in motion and he allows us to make our own choices because he loves us. It says in verse 17 that he's before all things and in him all things consist. He was before all things. In other words, he doesn't need us. Just like you existed before your children, right? You don't need them. You love them, you care about them, you can't imagine life without them, but you don't need them. Sometimes kids start to, to think that we need them, don't they? Kind of like the world revolves around me all of a sudden. You know, mom and dad, I mean, you couldn't function without me. I'm smarter than you, I know more than you do, and, and, and you're thinking, wait, 
I went 20, 30 years doing just fine without you. I don't need you. I love you, but I don't need you. We were before them. And sometimes we we think that we're going to live longer than they are too, right? Because we're going to take them out. (laughs) It's, It's amazing... It's amazing how you see your, your kids are just like a mirror image of you. And Caitlin's getting a little older and, and she's starting to show her sin and, and her weaknesses. And some of the things that I struggle with, being impatient with people, kind of being a little bit obsessive, compulsive, kind of. I mean, she's, she's that and then shoot some steroids into it. It's like, what in the world? How can this child be so just controlling, wanting to control people. And I sat her down this morning and talked to her about that. Yesterday, uh, Erica, Vaughn, and, and, and Allie were, were over at our house. I wasn't there. We were at the retreat. But Caitlin was, you know, playing with, with Allie, and then Allie had an accident, so she had to wear some of Caitlin's clothes. And so Caitlin wrote out a contract and, <laughs> and said, okay, uh, here's a receipt for the clothes, and you're going to promise to bring them back. So I want you to give this to your mom, and, and then, you know, when you get home, you can wash them and bring them back to me. And she's like, oh, okay, you know, and Allie's walking out the door, and she said, no, you, you need to give this to your mom. Okay, I will. No, you will give this to her. And she's walking out the door, and Caitlin chases her down, grabs her by the shirt, and says, you will give this to your mom, you know, and just all freaked out. And Andrew is just like, what in the world is going on? And, and Erica's like, uh, calm down, Caitlin, it's okay. And Allie's like all freaked out, you know, like, get this demon kid off me, you know. <laughs> this kid's possessed. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing how we see our kids and, and, and we see them becoming like us. But the fact is, is that we existed before they did. We don't need them. And they need to learn from us. And they need to hear from us. All things were created through him. And I love this. And for him. Things were created for God. This world wasn't created for our glory. You weren't created for your own glory. You weren't created to please yourself. You were created to please God. To glorify God. And are you doing that? People want to know what their purpose in life is. And man, I think that is an amazing question to ask. What am I here for? What's my purpose? And all of us have specific things that we're gifted at and that God has called us to, certainly. But if you want to look at it in a general sense, it's very easy. You were created to bring glory to God. And so ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I bringing glory to God? I'm part of His creation. I was created for Him, for His pleasure. If you're a boss, maybe you've said this to somebody before. As they start kind of, you know, getting their own mind and they're wanting to do their own thing and they start running stuff their own way. And it's like, sometimes you have to sit people down and say, you know what, I own this company and you work for me. Did you forget that? Did somewhere along the line, did I sell you this company? Did did I give you the the right and the power to start running the show, remember, you work for me, okay? And, and sometimes we have to remind people of that. And I think sometimes God has to remind us, hey, 
Did somewhere along the line you get the idea that you exist for your own pleasure? Did somewhere along the line of your life, did you get the idea that you exist for yourself, for your own glory? Hello, you were created for me. Let's understand that. You work for me. And he says it out of love because he knows the best thing for you, the best thing for you is that you align yourself with that perspective because otherwise we ruin our life. Just like children, just like people that try to run companies when they don't know what they're doing. They run things into the ground. There's a reason why you're the boss because you know what you're doing. There's a reason why God is God and he's preeminent and that we exist for him is because he knows what he's doing. Don't you want somebody running your life that can see everything at once? Talk about good quarterbacks in the NFL, right? It isn't always arm strength. It's not always athletic ability. It's not always size and strength and power. One of the greatest assets of an NFL quarterback is the ability to see the whole field. And there's very few that can do it. Because there's 22 guys moving all over the place. And there's receivers running this route and another guy's running that route and the running back is coming here and there's guys running at you and, and you got to be able to see the whole field in an instant. And that is an asset that sets quarterbacks apart. There's good ones and there's great ones and the great ones can do that. And that's what sets God apart. He sees everything at once. Can you imagine everything at once and understanding what every detail that's going on? Even in this little town, you see people driving and walking and going here and there. You don't have a clue what they're doing. Somebody could be driving by you because their wife's pregnant and about to have a baby. Or they could be driving by because they're going to get an ice cream. You don't have a clue what people are doing. God looks at everything, the entire world. He sees all of this chaos and he knows everything that's going on. I think I want him on my team. I think I want him running the show. Why do I want to run the show? I don't have a clue. I don't know what's going to happen to me. When I stop teaching today, I have no idea what's going to happen. But God does. I want to link up with him. He has the ability to run my life in such a way that it works. I have the ability to run my life in such a way that I ruin it. But we can make that choice. doesn't seem like a very difficult choice, but some of us are making it into a complicated matter, aren't we? All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That basically means that in him all things consist, that he's holding everything together. Scientists wonder what it is that holds the world together. They understand atoms, and they understand the positive and negative, and, and the moving of all these microscopic atoms, and neutrons, and protons, and electrons. They, they understand that, but... There's something that they don't understand, and that's what holds it all together. And Colossians 1.17 gives us the answer, Jesus. And it's not only scientific, but it's personal. He's holding your life together, even if it seems like everything is coming apart at the seams. He's holding your life together. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then this is what I want to close with, you guys, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That in all things... Not in some things, not in the things that are easy for you to give to God. Not in what's convenient, but in all things he wants to have preeminence. Is that true of you this morning? Does Jesus Christ have preeminence in your life? Is he in control of your entire life? It's a question I want to leave you with. It's a question I want you to 
to ask yourself and to pray about as the worship team comes and closes us this morning. When we sing a song about Jesus being the center of your life, I want you to ask yourself, is He the center? Is He my everything? Is He preeminent? And only you can answer that. And man, before you leave here this morning, if you need to make Him preeminent in your life, do that. If you don't know Jesus personally, then please do not leave here without asking Him into your life. We'd love to pray with you. There will be people up here to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you in regard to any of those things. Let's stand together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.